This podcast is sponsored by Meridian. For custom integrators, it's all about the performance. We get that at Meridian. That's why we craft high-res audio solutions, purpose-built for integrators, that put the listener right at the heart of the performance. High-res audio, engineered for you, built by Meridian. It's the future of sound. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, a podcast produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and today we're taking a look at the business of home cinema. Is the big screen business going to get even bigger and more immersive now that the IMAXification of the home is on the agenda? And what's going on with content? Who's bossing what your customers are watching and how does that affect your business? We've got two of the industry's best in the business with us today to look at what's going on and help you make sense of it all. Welcome to The Integrated Home. What better place to talk about cinema than actually from within a cinema itself? Today, it's a real privilege to be broadcasting from the fantastic cinema that lies beneath the IdeaWorks Experience Centre in the heart of London's West End. It's also a privilege to be joined by IdeaWorks Managing Director, Chris Jones, and from Custom Sight & Sound by that company's chairman, Ian Bolt. Welcome to you both. Pleased to be here. Thank you. Now, Chris, tell us about IdeaWorks and the cinema that we're in today. Uh, It's a pleasure that you're in our cinema, one of two that we have, the other one being in our Monaco showroom. Having an experience centre gives us an opportunity for clients to come and have a go, see what a piece of technology might feel like to them feel like to their families. Uh, IdeaWorks, our business is roughly split 50-50 between Supiots and homes, those homes uh, generally in London, but we have a number of projects overseas. As to myself, I like to consider it a life sentence. 20 years, I think, now. I joined as a work placement student and I haven't been able to get away since and I love it every day that I I come. What about you, Ian? Life sentence for you and custom sight and sound? Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but, but a very enjoyable one uh, I'm, I'm a lot older than Chris although I think we look very similar in age that's um, unfair so we, <laughs> with 35 years into the industry customer sign and sound started 26 years ago um, and sort of morphed out of something we were already doing so we were in audio at that point in time and people started to ask for audio in more than one space so we found our route into multi audio and then integration and so on has naturally followed on from there Fantastic. Well, thanks for having us. And uh, let's talk cinema. So IMAX have just announced that they're launching a new certification programme. Dubbed IMAX Enhanced, that aims to bring unrivaled AV quality to homes around the world. They've also said that more movies, either filmed or formatted for IMAX screens, will be made available in expanded aspect ratios for home viewing. Does that mean cinemas are just going to get bigger and better in quality? Chris, What's your take? I think it's an interesting development. I think the good news is that it's another reason to talk about home cinema. I'm a little dubious as to what that might mean in practice. We've been fortunate enough to do a couple of IMAX cinemas, one in a home, currently just commissioning the first one on a super yacht. But I'm wondering whether the badging of product as IMAX devalues the brand, devalues the specialness of having an IMAX in your own home or your yacht. So I'm not so sure where that's going, really. What about you, Ian? What do you think? I agree with Chris. I think that um, IMAX has already stood about something very specific. 
and something very specific in quality. And you see that when you go to their commercial cinemas, they are radically different from anything else in the way that they approach audio and video. Screen ratio is, is just one part of that. And I'm not quite sure how you transfer that into the home and it'd be much more than the badging exercise. It's interesting that you've already done a couple of cinemas, IMAX cinemas in people's houses. I mean, I wonder, are people's houses big enough? I mean, certainly in central London, that's going to be a challenge, isn't it? I certainly think that in central London, that would be a challenge. Although the one we've done in a home is in central London, so there is the space. I think that, again, another challenge on yachts is having sufficient height to have the IMAX screen in there is a challenge. Uh, So I don't think you'll see many of them. But that's okay because it's special, it's unique, it's wow. And so if every cinema in London was an IMAX cinema, then what's IMAX? So in terms of putting the IMAX badge on product, that does kind of devalue the standard a little, wouldn't you think, Ian? I I think it does, yes. It is about something very specific. You have to have space in the way that you don't have to have it for the conventional route of doing things. And if they're badging and attaching their name to soundbars and things like that, which is what I've heard then I can't see how that can run true to the IMAX format. Why do you think they're doing it in that case? The world's run by marketing companies. Are they just sort of joining in with an opportunity to, to feed their product as a product name out there to increase awareness of it? I'm not sure I can answer that one, but it's not something that fills me with great joy. I mean, doing an IMAX cinema is not something that we've, we've yet been able to achieve, but I understand them, I know them, I know the theory behind them and why they are the way that they are, which is why I find it very difficult to understand how they can attach that to the products that they've discussed. Maybe actually the point is we're here talking about IMAX, we're talking about home cinema. So that brings us back to the point that if clients are hearing about this and it gets their interest in home cinema, that's good for the industry, regardless of whether that has a badge on it or not. Yeah, as long as we don't, as the standards don't drop down, because the point of IMAX is that it sits above everything else, that it is a, a very different way of doing things and it is very much a sort of prime high-end solution. Perhaps it's also about the trend towards complete immersion in that cinema experience, isn't it, which which we're all striving to deliver for clients. Which we can certainly deliver anyway with products like, I'm not quite sure the products Chris used, but Trinov and, and products of that nature are giving us a level of audio with immersiveness that is quite extraordinary. And so I'm not quite sure they can develop the audio hugely further. Chris can comment on that more than I can. For me, IMAX is actually more about the, the screen ratio and the level of quality in the picture rather than the audio. I think also with a cinema we've got to a point now where images are so incredible and audio is so incredible that to be able to create that immersive space now we have to be thinking about as we always have I suppose actually the acoustics in the room the space itself how you come into that space whether the air conditioning is done in such a way that you've got fan noise those are all the things that will break you out of that immersive experience. And so there's a lot we can do there, which doesn't necessarily mean it has to be IMAX to make it more immersive. Okay, so interesting, but not necessarily going to change the world overnight, certainly. I I don't think so. I'm more concerned that they will, in taking this approach, that they may do more harm than good to their own image, if you like. Okay, brilliant. Thanks very much. The Integrated Home Podcast. Right, it's hot seat time. Chris is your interrogator, Ian, and you've got 30 seconds to answer as many of these questions as you can. Ready, steady, go. What's the greatest movie of the year so far? Shape of Water. Which innovation has had the most impact on home cinema design? Dolby Atmos. 
Kate Bush or Earth, Wind and Fire? Ah, don't do that to me. Both. <laughs> Is that allowed? Vinyl or Rune? Oh, tough. Vinyl. Which actor would play you in a film? <laughs> Brad Pitt, as if. <laughs> Am I allowed to laugh here? Yep. Uh, what's your favourite part of the job? Uh, client interaction. Leighton Orient or West Ham United? Obviously Leighton Orient. What would be your dream job if you weren't an integrator? I would be playing for Leighton Orient. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you're an integrator, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a shocking footballer. <laughs> What else is going on in the world of home cinema? Well, two things have caught my attention recently. The first was the keynote talk delivered by John Penny from 20th Century Fox at September's CDO event in San Diego. John painted a picture of IT companies taking over the entertainment world and fighting amongst each other to deliver content directly to consumers. The second piece of news was the tie-in between Netflix and SkyQ. This will see content from Netflix woven directly into the fabric of the SkyQ user interface. Chris, how is what's happening with content changing how you do your business? It's a challenge. <laughs> uh, our industry for so long was about, the biggest challenge was unifying the experience for the client and making it simple. And that used to be, for want of a better word, a all-in-one remote control. And that same thing now seems to be happening to content whereby you used to get all your content from, say, Sky, whereas now you're getting it from Sky, Amazon Prime, Netflix, even the streaming services like Cartina and Canal Plus. They're all providing a challenge. At the end of the day, it reminds me of something that Kevin said to me about probably 20 years ago, which was that it doesn't matter how much money you have or how incredible your system is, at the end of the day, you come down, sit, turn the TV on, and there's nothing to watch. It just takes a bit longer to find out that there's nothing to watch now. Uh, but it's a challenge that we have to simplify that for a, for a client. Ian, what do you think? It's a difficult one. I think the problem now is you have so many people with vested interests that have the ability to, to make life very difficult for the end user because they don't necessarily get on. So you've got competing suppliers who are not going to provide their content to their competition. You've got the growth of people like Netflix, Amazon, making their own content, which clearly they're not going to rent or lend out to anybody else for them to show. So in some ways it's getting more complicated and the volume of content, of course, is increasing exponentially. I suppose that actually it's why our industry exists. It exists to bridge the differences between, for example, different manufacturers and they're all wanting to own their own ecosystem. That's where we come in and we, we unify that and this is just the next challenge. And I think that there are some things happening out there, such as on Apple TV, where you have their app called TV that seeks to aggregate content from different streaming services. But that lends a different challenge, especially if you're a household and you have, for example, a single Apple TV, like I do, because it tries to be smart and suggest content to me. But then it's suggesting that I want to watch Operation Ouch and Horrible Histories, but that's what my kids watch, not me. So it provides a different set of challenges. So in terms of proliferation of content, I mean, that's good news for the integrators because you're going to be more in demand to make it simple for people, right? Our clients certainly the demand they have of us is to make their life more straightforward. The more complex it is in the background, probably quite helpful for us because it helps us distinguish ourselves from the abilities that other people may be able to bring in the same environment, if you like. But yeah, it's difficult. And I think there is such a narrow wealth of content out there that wading through it and finding what you want to watch is becoming more difficult as well. When I grew up, there were three channels and then we went to four and then we went to five. Now we've got Lord knows how many. 
and certainly my habit at home now is I, I'm very specific on the things that I watch because if I actually sit there and try and surf to see what's available and then choose from something, I think, oh, that would be quite good fun. To, I, I'd rather... It's time to go to bed. It's time to go to bed, yeah, yeah, because there's so much to wade through. And our clients are very similar as well. They've become very specific now in what they want to watch. So they come with a demand say, like, these are the things that I now want. Our job is to go and make that simple for them to use. How can you keep things simple then for customers wanting to find their content in one place? I think you've got it absolutely right there with the question because it's the finding of the content that is the tough thing. And everyone who's ever used an Apple TV and navigated the up, down, left, right to try and type out any sort of title to a song or to a movie will be frustrated. So for us, it's about making the searching really simple through maybe a keyboard that comes up on the touchscreen, maybe it's voice search. These are all things that we've integrated into our platform. And interestingly, Apple's keynote on HomeKit, which was a couple of weeks ago, they're now talking about opening up HomeKit to third-party remotes. So our R&D team are playing with that at the moment. And that could be interesting. That could be some deep links into Apple's ecosystem and providing the client maybe that simplicity of finding content. And presumably they want to watch content in a luxurious home cinema that they've just invested hundreds of thousands of pounds for you guys to build. Hopefully, but not always. So doesn't that have an impact on quality? I think it could do. But I think that if you go back maybe to when Sky HD first came out, and then clients had an opportunity to watch genuine HD versus standard definition. It's great if it was HD, but if it's not something that you have an interest in, you're not going to watch it just because it's an HD. And if you've got a great system, it's about the content. That's why this topic is, I suppose, so apt. You'll watch less good content because it's something you want to watch rather than the latest 4K, Atmos, IMAX, whatever it is. But certainly if you have a fantastic space to watch that in, that's a good thing. How is audio changing in cinemas, Ian? Uh, I think it's a wider question of audio changing in a more general sense. And one of the great concerns about the way things are delivered and the way that our industry is responding to that is an issue of quality. And we sort of lost the fight when we agreed to put speakers in ceilings because they are only going to sound good to a point. It is not possible or very tough to make that work from a qualitative sense. And... We're seeing a huge amount of content that's being delivered in low resolution because of the passion to deliver volume as opposed to deliver quality. There are people trying to fight against that, so sticking with two channel for a moment, you've got Tidal with their services that will provide full resolution and higher resolution with things like MQA. And Meridian, for instance, champion that, and rightly so, to try and deliver a much higher quality of audio. And I think that's sort of the case throughout everything we do where sound is a concern. And I'm still not quite sure why clients are as frequently prepared to accept what I think is too low a standard, whereas I think in video, that's a bit easier. You know, you've got a screen, it's very easy to see that the picture is better than another, and people are quite critical of that, and their expectations are high, and we would consistently then deliver that because nothing else is acceptable. But in audio, there seems to be an acceptance of the dumbing down of quality. Cinemas, I think, are slightly different because if we're going to do a cinema, we'll do it well. We'll live within the budget, but we'll always deliver a sound that works as well as that budget will allow, and generally that means it's, it's anything from good to, to glorious. And I think that we've got to make sure, hopefully, that the video providers continue to, to feel that delivering video quality is of importance because certainly on the audio side, I think that's been lost. And what about delivery of that content? Presumably, 
it's going to all depend on the quality of the broadband or the Wi-Fi around the house. It is, and unfortunately London's one of the areas that perhaps at times is more difficult to deliver that. Where I live slightly out into the country, we have no problem whatsoever getting very high-speed Virgin. Some of our clients suffer in central London despite their financial status of not being able to have what I can get. Um, so, yeah, delivery needs an awful lot of thought. There's a lot of platforms coming along that are very dependent upon the ability to stream with speed, and there are going to be parts of the country that for some period of time, yeah, simply can't and won't have access to that. Is it getting easier to sell that kind of high-speed and reliable internet infrastructure into clients' homes? I think there was a time when it was a bit of a challenge. But there's an understanding now that, in reality, we used to be AV companies, then we were AV-IT. I think we're actually IT-AV. IT is the backbone to everything that we do. And good quality, robust networks pretty much help to define the user experience as to how, how good that is. So no matter whether they're searching for content or using the phones or communicating with the building management system, that all sits on a, hopefully, a robust, secure network. And I think most people get that now. It was a challenge for a while, but we're finding that easier now. Completely agree. We're really an IT company now because without IT, we have nothing to, nothing solid to base our systems upon. And certainly our clients' spend has radically changed on what they're prepared to invest in to make that reliable. In terms of numbers, I don't know if, if we would have trouble getting somebody to spend three or four thousand pounds on a, an IT structure five or six years ago. Now when we see them, the first thing that they say to us is, before we start, what we must have is reliable, fast Wi-Fi and broadband. And that's the conversation that they come with before we even talk about how many TVs and, and whether they want the cinema. That's always the first conversation. So the change in terms of the content providers being IT companies is actually filtering down to the integration firms being more IT-driven rather than in the entertainment business, in the AV business. Absolutely. I think that if you looked at the cabling infrastructure that we run into buildings, look back 10 years, you know, you wouldn't be able to get your arms around the bundle of cables there and there'd be, I don't know, probably 12, 15 different types. Whereas nowadays, I suspect, or at least on our projects, it's data cabling and speaker cabling and probably yeah, the same, absolutely right? The same. Mostly absolutely the same. Um, so what type of home cinemas are you putting in these days? Is it home cinemas, big budget ones or smaller budget ones? Is there any sort of distinction in the price points? I don't think I do works. Do small budget cinemas, do you? That's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> we do a whole range of cinemas. We probably get very different answers depending upon who you ask. We as a company have, have ended up with a platform of business that is fairly consistent in that most of that comes from consultants or is based from their recommendations. And we've become known for doing a certain type of work. So typically for us, we will provide the solutions for the whole house. And more often than not, there will be a cinema in there. But we're finding that those cinemas are relatively modest. And I think that's because from our perspective, we're given a if you like, a budget for the project. So there's only so much of that is going to be directed into that particular space. And I think clients have become more aware of the fact that you can do so much more with a more limited budget than you would have historically been able to do. So quality of projectors has leapfrogged. And I remember putting in CRT projectors for <laughs> 60,000 that are £4,500 BenQ single chip DLP is probably going to outstrip. So the value has increased enormously, which is good because it allows them to to consider you, you know, having that space more frequently. What about you, Chris? I think I'm seeing it sort of split in the middle, doing a lot more what I would probably class as media rooms, where you know, in the past, to get a big screen, you needed a projector. It was just a fact. You had to do that. Whereas now you can get a 70, 80, 90-inch TV for not much money, 
with a great picture and that allows them to be maybe a bit more flexible in that space, especially in London where they can use that room for something else as well. Um, and then at the very other end, the IMAX end, maybe not quite IMAX, but where people are going, do you know what? This is actually a dedicated cinema. We're going to have some rake seating. We're going to put in an incredible projector and we're going to really make the most of it. And we've got some projects at the moment with some incredible cinemas, 40 seat cinemas in private homes, which is the extreme end. And then you've had some media rooms, but not much in the middle. Mm. 40 seats in somebody's house. Well, it's a reasonable size house. It's a reasonable size family. <laughs> Actually, it's not a very big family, ironically. Um, but yeah. Lots of friends turn up at that yeah, point. That's exactly. Important. And I think that's the thing. I think with those sorts of spaces, they are entertainment spaces. And that's what they're for. That's what they exist for. And in terms of a lifestyle, people still want to all get together as a family and enjoy having that fantastic experience that you get in a home cinema. I, don't, I think actually probably the family experience is more the media room rather than the cinema. Cinemas, I think, is still quite a... It's a little bit like two-channel stereo, which is my background, which is quite a selfish hobby, because you want the thing to be set up in a certain way to achieve a certain level of performance, and it becomes quite a selfish thing. So we do plenty of cinemas, and they tend to be probably more 10, 12-seater, and, and they are family spaces, but I think the family is more moved into the media room spaces, where it's a little bit easier to, to grab a drink, to, you know, to not have to have the room in complete darkness. Whereas a cinema, for me, a cinema should be much more of an experience than that, which is why we're still so passionate about delivering cinemas. And in terms of that experience, do you think contractually it's easier to deliver that home cinema experience to clients or is that getting more difficult? <laughs> well, we're part of the construction industry, I have to say. So there's plenty of people in the way making life quite difficult. So moving those barriers out of the way can be one of the challenges. I don't know if Chris' experience is the same thing, but... I, I, yeah, I think probably about 10 years ago when the last financial collapse happened, our industry changed. So we deal less directly with clients now because they seek the protection of the main contractor. So our works will go through the main contractor 75% of the time, whereas 10 years ago it was the other way around. So there are more layers of people in the way. We, we all love QSs, of course, because they think that the only thing that matters is money and the same thing can be delivered for half the price by somebody else, which we all know isn't true. There are more barriers in the way now, I think, in a lot of the uh, contracts that we would do. I look back at the, those days fondly. Fondly. Do you know what? You met a client, you took a brief, the client trusted you, appointed you, and you delivered an outcome and you continue to look after it. I think where you have all these different layers in between, it's certainly more challenging. And that's because, as you say, we're perceived as part of the construction industry. But ultimately, the, the thing the client holds in their hand, the remote control, for want of a better word... It should be a very personal and tailored thing. Um, and I suppose in their personal life, when they go and get a, a tailored suit, they don't send their representative to go and get the suit measured for them. They go and they try and they trust and they, they get a bespoke product. And that's what our industry is about. And so for every layer you add between that, you're diluting that. And that's, from a personal perspective, frustrating. It must be. And I think bespoke and customer words often used in our industry, but it must also persuade you, well, maybe we should consider a standard solution for that type of contract. I'm not quite sure we can ever repeat the same job twice, I think, is one of the answers, because no project is the same, the building isn't the same, and, and the demands of the client, which hopefully you get some indication of, sometimes you don't. No two jobs are the same, which is great news, because that's why we exist, as opposed to you being able to go somewhere else and just deliver the same platform. 
You know, our clients are very specific in that they want X, Y, and Z, and it's every single time it creates a different challenge and a different set of solutions. So we use a very consistent group of products to achieve that, but no two installations are ever the same. Agreed, yeah. I think that also what they're getting from us or what they should be getting from us is, you know, this may be their third house that they've done, maybe their fifth, but they certainly haven't done hundreds of them. And that's where our, our experience comes in and we should be able to go, I know you've asked for that, but have you considered this? Or in this scenario, maybe there's another way of doing it. And that's where we bring some value, I would hope, to the client and to their families that are going to live in these homes. And the construction industry, do you think that they're understanding where our industry is coming from? Or is that a long-term project that we've all just got to keep banging on the door about? I think it's a long-term project. I mean, ultimately, I suspect if you see it from their side, we're the difficult bunch. Why should we be difficult? Why shouldn't we just fit in with everyone else? And I can see that. And I think that there are some aspects that maybe do fit in that. And so quite frequently, we'll end up in a contract, what we'd call in and out of contract, where there are some elements that we're contracted to the main contractor, and then some of the maybe the the softer elements that are directly contracted to the client. I'm guessing you guys do a similar thing. And yeah, we occasionally see that sort of a mix. And you have to have some sympathy from the main contractors, to be fair, because their market, as much as we're working in London in what we, I guess we call prime residential, they're all fighting each other on the same basis of cost and so on. So they're under a great deal of pressure, both in time and cost. The last thing they need is somebody coming along being precious and complex and claiming that what they're delivering is particularly special, so everybody should stop and take heed of that. So we do have to have some sympathy for contractors, which is why I think a lot of the time when you work, we certainly work on, on a Crisswood as well, consistently with the same group of people. You know, work will come from the same consultants, will work with the same group of contractors, and that's a big help because we need to understand them as much as we always thought they should understand what we do. So if you could change one thing to make your life easier when delivering home cinemas, what do you think it might be? I would love the opportunity to get a client into an experience centre and show them what a real home cinema could be like. In fact, the dream scenarios were that the family came in because it is a family experience and if they came in and could see what they could have and how that could make them feel, that would be fantastic because you can't get a feeling from a spreadsheet with numbers on it. You've got to feel it, you've got to hear it, you've got to experience it. So that, for me, I think would be uh, the dream scenario. It's hard to think of anything else other than to agree with Chris, actually. The ability for people to experience what it is you're trying to get across to them is hugely helpful. We don't have our own facility, unfortunately, but we have facilities and existing clients that we can occasionally use which assist with that. But the ability to experience it makes a big deal. You know, there is a big difference between a £2,000 receiver and putting in a Trinov with 32 channels and everything that goes about it, and you can talk about that, and they will quite often trust you. But if they can sit and experience it, then you don't really need to say very much. It's obvious. And presumably getting designers, architects, contractors, QSs into a space like this is also incredibly helpful for you. I think it can help. I think sometimes the reaction can be a little quiet conversation on the side where they go, please don't try and sell it too hard, we can't fit this in the basement. But ultimately, and this is where our industry is different, our job continues when everyone else has left. We're left looking after that client, sometimes for decades. And so for the client to be able to experience everything, the cinema, the touchscreen, the things that you can't discern from a spreadsheet with a price at the end of it, 
is to our benefit because if we haven't done it right, we'll be hearing about that for the next 10 years. Better to get it right in the first place and set the expectations of the client and understand the expectations of the client. Very good. Thank you to our guests, Ian and Chris, and a special thanks to our hosts here at IdeaWorks for making this fabulous space available to us today. Next month, we'll be getting inside the issue of staff recruitment and retention. How do you grow a business when you can't find the people? And when you have got them, how on earth do you keep them? Remember, we're downloadable absolutely free from Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast and pretty much all your favourite podcast providers. You can also find us on Twitter at The Int Home Pod. Please give us a follow to stay up to speed with the latest business news. You can also download useful resources and information discussed in today's show and in previous episodes. The Integrated Home is sponsored by Meridian Audio and is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.